Hey guys, I hope you're loving the Making Bank episodes. Please make sure you guys like and share these episodes as well as comment below for the guests. They love to come back and interact with you. And I really appreciate you watching and listening to Making Bank. So thank you. You are, you are listening to Making Bank, where we uncover the mindset and success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business. business. Welcome to Making Bank. I am Josh Felber, where we uncover the success strategies and the mindsets of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business today. I'm really excited and honored for today's guest, Kevin Harrington, Greg Roulette, Mitch Miller, Jack Davis, Nicholas Kuzmich, Pat Flynn, Warren Phillips. So companies that are growing their business, they may be not at that CFO level. Right. So how do they protect themselves? So okay. if you were back in that same situation. Oh, okay. So uh, this is, you know, what I, I, I talk in front of crowds. And, and, and one of the things I say is that with this, what I call the, the gig economy, okay. the new economy today, I say you don't have to hire and employ the experts, right. you rent them, okay? Uh, okay? Okay. Like a buddy of mine owns a company called Total CFO. And okay. in, so you can rent hourly, by the week, by oh, the wow. month, on a contract basis, and you can get your books done, your record, do this, that, all your controls in place. Sure. And they come in from the outside, and you know it could be a very, you know, it could be a thousand dollars a month, twelve grand a year, and you got a CFO okay. that's on, you know, that is designated to watch, you know, your stuff. watch your stuff. So, and they have experts in the digital space. So I say to myself, if you can't afford it, you rent it, and. Um, and, and actually, if you look at how Snapchat, Evan Spiegel built yeah. Snapchat, he, he, he decided early on that he didn't want to put all the money into putting on all his own software together. He partnered with Amazon on the cloud. Right. He partnered with Square on some of the finance stuff. And so he let other companies put money in and then... And, and I call it renting you know, the cloud instead of developing your own. And so he was able to focus on business development and the creative stuff. And that's why he's has built such a successful $30 billion yeah. IPO, oh, yeah. right? So <laughs> yeah. pretty amazing guy. He like went instantly to one of the most well, wealthiest but, but people. Some people don't realize he, he, he was at $4 billion in market cap in year two with 20 employees. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, Which, but but to everybody on the outside, it looks like oh, he went from zero to yeah, to, to thirty billion, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, so <laughs> he this the, he did it very smart, but it wasn't by just hiring a bunch of high paid right. people, and right? Makes, so you know, gets some key people in, and he, I'm sure he gave some little, you know, little uh, option type deals sure. away to a few key. I'm sure there's plenty of millionaires running around yeah. at Snapchat <laughs> right now, right? So for sure, you know, good thing. Awesome. Somebody was going to go pitch maybe an investor or uh, want to get into a retail store. Yeah. Okay. Um, so because so, you've had so many products yeah, in retail. Right. So yes. look, in, in retail, you know, one of the key things, if, if you walk into a Walgreens and 98% of every product in there, you've heard about. You, right. You, it, it's, it's either a brand or there's some program that's promoting that product. Sure. You know, Ivory Soap is there for a reason because it's, it's, it's a Procter & Gamble product that's had, you know, tens of millions of dollars of advertising and the soaps, the OxyCleans, the whatever. So getting an unbranded product into retail distribution right. is not easy. No. Okay? Because they want to know, look, we, we have shelf space, but 
how is it going to move off the shelf? Right. So you have to be able to lay out some kind of a marketing program. It could be social media, by the way. There's a lot okay. of companies that are using social media activity to, to, drive, to drive the, the retail sales. sales okay. okay. So you know whether you've got celebrities or or whatever, but um, you can't just walk in and say I've got a great product. Give me your shelf space because right. it's very valuable to them. And and. And by the way, getting it in is easy sometimes. I mean, like, yes, you might be able to get it in, but moving it off the shelf and getting paid. Right. Because at Walgreens, you get paid per scan. In other words, so I got Shark Tank products onto Walgreens shelves. Sure. If they didn't move, I got it all back. Okay? <laughs> right. and, yeah. and, and so that's what good is it to manufacture it, put it on the shelf, get it back, and now all the boxes are banged and torn and this and that. And you throw half the stuff away. So right. getting the distribution is is part of it, but it's it's then putting the marketing plan behind sure. it that's important. So that's on the retail side. You know, as entrepreneurs, we got a lot of entrepreneurs that watch this and everything. They're growing their business. They're you know trying to create and grow their brand. What are maybe three key successes or strategies that you can say, hey, cool. You know, here's kind of step one, step two, step three that you want to go do to really start to get more brand presence out there. Totally. So the first thing is the mindset that you are a media brand, that everyone today is a media brand. Like if you just, if you posted about what you ate for breakfast on Facebook today, you technically created media. Was that the best media to create? I don't know. Maybe it is. Like if you're a health coach, maybe. But like if you are posting stuff on social media, you are creating media and that becomes part of your brand. Because let's face it, like, you know, you and I, we're friends on Facebook. I see what you post there. And if you post something, you know, that that's part of your brand, that's who you are. And so you, the fundamental principle everyone needs to understand is you are a media brand and you have the opportunity to control that because guess what? I didn't force you to post something on Facebook today. You chose to, you chose to post it there. I didn't force you to shoot that Facebook live video with McDonald's rappers in the background. You, you chose to post that there. So fundamental principle number one is that you are a media brand. You need to own that. And if you own that, well, then that goes into the second thing I like to talk about, which is constancy and consistency. And I like it so much that I created these like, uh, like iPhone cases for oh, it nice. that, uh, that we have out there, <laughs> but constancy and consistency. So, uh, back in, in, in the olden days, you know, like I'm a, I'm a big print guy. I mean, I like print newsletters. I love print newsletters, but here's the, the fundamental problem with them. They're great. And I think they're part of an omnipresent strategy, which I'll talk about in a second. But if you only send it once a month and that's your only point of connection with your clients, your customers, your prospects, your marketplace. Well, now you got 29 days. Dude, think about how much crap you get in one day. Now multiply that by 29. People don't remember you. And so constancy and consistency comes in. A friend of ours, John Lee Dumas. So Entrepreneurs on Fire is his show. Seven days a week, 365 days a year, he puts out a podcast. Consistency is there every single day. So, you know, he reminds you that he exists every day when you log into your phone, you check podcasts, there's a new one from John Lee Dumas. So there's the consistency. Constancy is constantly being in front of your marketplace. The reason why, you know, I know you've had him on the show, Gary Vee. The reason he wins is because he doesn't just put out like one thing, he puts out like six videos every day and like 13. Now, now, for many of us, that's unrealistic. It's unrealistic for me. It's unrealistic for you. But guess what? He's on every single person's mouth right now. He's on their mind. He has their attention because you can't get away from him. Constancy and consistency, you got to find the balance of what works for you. Is that, you know, once a week? I think that's, you know, if you're doing a show, whether it be a TV show, a podcast or whatever, at least once a week. Because again, if you're once a month, you get 29 days worth of other stuff to pile up. And it's not that your core market is going to listen to you every single day. Like we're, we're lying to ourselves. We think that they're going to listen to every episode of The Ambitious Life, that they're going to watch every minute of every episode of Making Bank. Like we want them to, of course, we create great stuff, but it's unrealistic to think they're going to, but 
they're like, oh, Josh just put out another new video. Oh, Josh just interviewed another cool guy. Oh, it's just, it's mind share and it's attention. So constancy and consistency. Third tip kind of with that is this concept of omnipresence. And uh, I learned that from, from Dan Kennedy. Uh, and he's not the first one to talk about it, but, he, but he's big on it. And if you look at the biggest celebrities in, in the entire world, right? So we'll use the, the Kardashians. So, because they're just an easy one to pick on. But you so hear it all the, the time. <laughs> yeah. so, so they have a, a TV show. Uh, they have multiple TV shows now that are once a week. Every week there's Keeping Up with the Kardashians and Chloe does something silly or whatever they are. But every week they're on TV. Then they're in reruns and syndication. So now seven days a week, they're actually on TV. Then you go to the newsstand and they're on the cover of Us Weekly and People Magazine and something else. Then they're on the cover of Cosmopolitan Magazine. Then they have an iPhone app. So every time you open your iPhone, they're on your iPhone. You have their perfume you know, in your bedroom. You're probably wearing a Kim Kardashian shirt because I think one of them has a clothing line. So not, you not today. For an actual fan, <laughs> no, not today. <laughs> so if you're, but, but if you're a fan of the Kardashians, you can't turn around in a 365 degree angle and not see something from the Kardashians. Gary Vee has done this really well. So he's got like five or six videos that go out on Facebook every day, one or two that are on YouTube. He's on Instagram. He's coming at you from every single angle from a digital perspective. And so thinking about that, you know, how can you be in as many places? So again, I like the newsletter strategy, be in the mailbox once a month, maybe be in the mailbox twice a month, you know, but also then be on Facebook, also then be on YouTube. And, and there's a repurposing strategy, right? You don't have to create 7,000 videos. Even Gary doesn't, he takes an hour long keynote and makes 40 videos from that hour long keynote. So, but this omnipresent strategy of being everywhere because you want the mind share of, of your people. So kind of the, the, the three things that I just covered just kind of as a recap, cause I know I machine gun talk really fast is that the principle is that you are a media brand. Like you are, there's no doubt in my mind that every single person listening to this is its own media brand. Even if it's on a personal side and you're just sharing what you're doing in your daily life, you are creating media and that's part of your brand. That's what your customers see. It's what your prospects see. It's what, you know, your family, your friends see. Thing number two, constancy and consistency, constantly be in front of your marketplace and do it consistently. And then think about the strategy of omnipresence being everywhere. And I'll stop talking now. Cool. No, no, that's <laughs> awesome. What, uh, would be the best piece of advice or insights you could leave, you know, as an entrepreneur kind of that you've learned to move their business forward, whether it's copy, whether it's some of the things that you consult and coach on. I'll, I'll give two because I'll try to, I'll try to make them fast. So, um, the, the first one actually is a big one that I, that I, that I actually wrote a post about, uh, literally right before I got on this, uh, on the, on the conversation with you is that the idea that deciding a good, ha good habits and sticking to those is better than the, even better than the, the thing that you're trying to even build the habit for in the first place. So Terry Crews, if you know that guy, Terry Crews is like, go to the gym every day. He's like, he's like, I don't care if you sit there and read a book all week. I don't care if, if you sit there and, and on your Facebook for a month. He said the habit of going every day is far more important long-term than any kind of workout that you could ever do. And he said that alone, like the, the workout or the, the habit of going every day will never fail you. Cause if you're, by the time you're 80, like you'll be jacked, you know what I mean? Like it'll never fail you. But like if, if you don't focus on the habit, you're focusing on the result or the thing all the time, anytime something goes along with the market can screw you, the will, your will, your own willpower can mess with you. But if you have the habit every day, even if you don't follow the action, but you, you still have the habit of going to the gym, for example, or reading a good book or, you know, doing something every day to close a deal, then that over time will never fail you. It's like a solid investment strategy. It's like, it's like that consistent over time will never fail you, even though there's ebbs and flows. Right. Yeah. No. That's that's so, awesome. So that is um that that is not 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 too actionable. That's more of like a theoretical thing, but it's it's a great way to look at things. 
Um, but w- one of my best piece of advice is, if, or advice, sorry, is like they understanding what marketing is in general. Most people don't really understand. And so like m- marketing is everything you do to get someone to the party and sales is what happens after they walk through the door. So I want people to understand and come away with that marketing is like you, you're not selling a product. You're not selling a thing. People aren't buying a thing. They're buying a result. And and even further, they're buying the 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 benefit or the, the of the result that they're going to get from your product. So they're never buying the product. The product's just a conduit. It's just a mechanism for a result. So another way to say this is that marketing, you're not selling a product. You're selling the story of who they are if they buy the product. And if you can under if you can understand that, then you can understand that instead of selling the product, you sell the idea of who they are if they buy it. And that is huge, I think, for people if they could understand. It, it takes them all out of their head of like, is folk, what's what about uh, me? What about this? What about this? Um, what about the 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 product? What, what about like our shipping? What about all this clutter going on in their mind? It's like, no, stop it. It's like. Tell them the story of who they are if they use it. And it, Apple does this beautifully, like, you know, with like their, their branding. It's like, you know exactly what kind of person you are if you buy an Apple product. They keep it simple. They just sell the, they just sell the story and the feeling of who you're going to be if you buy it. And it just so happens that the Apple product is the product, but that's not what they're selling. Right. Yeah. I remember way back when, when they did the Apple PC commercials and the PC guy was kind of the nerdy geeky guy. And then the Apple guy was the cool guy. <laughs> yeah. He was a cool guy. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So you're not buying the, 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 the Apple computer. You're buying the coolness, the coolness factor. Yeah. <laughs> and to be honest, like, and, and really what this is to cap this off, like, especially if you're selling, like if you're selling business information, you're selling really anything, actually you're selling people back. Usually the conf cause you're like, like, what is the cool guy? It's, it's someone feeling confident in their own skin or feeling confident. So what's interesting is like most of the time you're not even selling the product you're selling, you're selling them their own confidence back to them. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. It's, you know, they, helping them discover what they already have there or kind of break out of that, that their uh, current shell or patterns, I guess you could say. What's it been like for you kind of, you know, growing the company? I mean, obviously you went from, you know, you and, you know, a couple initial people to seven to 20 now. How's that been? It's, it's a challenge. I mean, I'm, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on scale being such, having talked to so many successful entrepreneurs and being one yourself, you got to scale habits and that can be really hard. Sure. How do you scale habits in a way that, everyone is working with the same type of dedication and discipline of the initial team. And also you have to scale culture and scaling culture can be incredibly difficult because how do you make sure that little special bubbling passion that existed when it was just you doing this extends that you have a bigger team now. So I I feel very lucky. We have a great team here at Crips, but I would say scaling is a unique challenge from everything to habits, to culture, to workflow. It's tough. Devi is funny because we had this, I was on a podcast earlier and had a similar conversation about hiring. I mean, it, it, it's, you know, as you're growing in, at such a consistent, rapid pace to make sure you're finding the right people that match with your culture as well as uh, the right people that want to work and hustle and help move that vision forward, you know, is definitely challenging. People are everything. I mean, if you don't have the right people, you have nothing. And I think the thing entrepreneurs must do in terms of letting go of your ego in the sense you can't figure it out yourself. If I wanted Crypt to be a one-person show, it would fail. You know, it, it takes a lot more than me. The vision is bigger than me. You need to create a great team who's just as excited as you are 
because the only way the company grows to its potential is having 20 people locked in, excited, getting the best of their potential, not just one person trying to be the superhero. For sure. No, I def- definitely agree with that. So uh, we got a little bit of time left. Um, what would you say you know, has been your biggest driver for success overall? That's a great question. I love that question, Josh. I would say the biggest driver for success is I have two really great parents who always dedicated so much to me and sacrificed for me. And I want them to feel like I didn't just take all their hard work and be lazy and sit around and take advantage of it, that I went and tried to make something of my own and build my own company and build my own life. And by that same notion, I have an amazing, lovely girlfriend who we've been together for a long time, four and a half years. We've got a long time of being together in front of us too. And I think that you have to just work from a place of love and think about all those people who believed in you, sure. who loved you and supported you. And that's what I work for. So first and foremost, that's my girlfriend and my parents. I have two amazing sisters. I mean, my partner, Eli Roth, this guy is a big success. He co-founded this company with me. He took a chance on me. Jason Blum, massive success, took a chance on me. So I think about my family. I think about those first partners and Eli and Jason, my current investors, Larry Hippo and Advanced Capital and NBCU. You think about all those people who supported you and that right. just drives you because you don't want to make them feel wrong for supporting you and you think about all the great help and advice they've given you and you want to kind of pay that back. And then eventually, once you've paid it back, you want to pay it forward to other people. For sure. No, that's awesome. What kind of challenges, you know, you, I know you said you had a little bit of wins here and there, you know, but what were those, those struggles that you kind of kept running into along the way? Got everything. <laughs> especially with the beta Facebook ads. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the biggest challenges were like, there's the macro and the micro. I think the major macro challenges were just confidence. It's like when you're stepping into it, when I'm stepping into a space, and I have these conversations a lot of time with people right now, like when you're stepping into a space where like you have a skill set and you think you could do something and you listen to the guru who just says, hey, put up a video that does this and you'll get a 90% conversion rate and you put up the video and the thing tank, tanks and you're like, I did exactly what the dude told me to do, but it didn't work. And I just had repeated experience of of that over and over and over again to the point where I was just like, is this worth continuing? But I think in my situation, uh, I had no choice. What was I going to do and where was I going to go? So, yeah, I think the major challenges was the self-confidence of like working through the initial struggles of starting up and how am I going to get paid and how am I going to find clients? How am I going to build my client base and learning the ins and outs of the business? Because when you go from side hustle to real business, where taxes and bookkeeping and account receivables and client management and all that actually like stuff I had no idea about becomes a reality. Those just the whole learning curve of figuring all that out was was probably the biggest challenges up front. Cool. And then what was kind of that um, big win that you realized like, man, you know, I know you were in the conference. You're like, okay, cool. People put their, but I mean, what was that big win when you first landed that client that, you know, really like, man, I, I'm on it. Now I'm making some bank. <laughs> yeah. So I, I had this idea of like, I can either start from the bottom and then work my way up or I can start at the top. And I figured starting from the top would be so much easier and so much faster. So I had to come up with a creative way to do that. So I came up. Uh, what, so when that clicked in for me and I said, OK, well, I have a market I could serve here. The Facebook advertising space seems to be a space I could serve. But again, that's a huge space. Like everybody could use Facebook ads. So my next question was, and, and I had two criteria, how can I find an underserved segment of this marketplace 
who was also affluent. That was important to me. I said, who is an affluent, underserved segment of this marketplace? And I identified at that time, and this is years ago now, the, the tides have shifted. But at that time, it was the high ticket coach, consultant, thought leader, information marketer who was being underserved. And so I said, you know what? I put together a list of all my dream clients, the people I just I would die to work with. These were heroes of mine at the time. And it's an interesting journey where people go from heroes to colleagues to clients to students. And that was kind of my journey over the next over the last few years. Uh, but these were heroes of mine. I put this list together and I said, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to approach all of them and I'm going to make them an offer they can't refuse. I'm essentially going to say, hey, this is what I do. These are my fees, but you only pay me after I get a result. If I don't get a result for you, you don't pay me. If I do get a result, these are my fees that you pay me for. And I think that's an important distinction, Josh, because a lot of people are like, hey, I'll work for free for you if you just give me a testimonial. The problem with that is that devalues your brand right off the get, uh, right out the get-go. So in this case, I said, these are my fees. I know they're not cheap, but let me do this for you. And, and if I get a result, then you pay me. And of all the people I reached out to, I got responses from two people. Um, and I said, okay, I, I my back is in the corner here. This is my make or break. If I make this work, I know I can build a business around this. If I don't, I'm screwed and I got to figure out something else. Fortunately, we hit two grand slams for some pretty high profile people. And then the floodgates opened up. As soon as you got some good results for some high profile people, they tell their friends, they tell their friends, they tell their friends. I then took that, I leveraged it for my own personal brand. And literally in a matter of 18 months, we went from unknown to one of the top authorities in this space and one of the most sought after and highest paid people in this space. It was, it was quite the journey, but that in fact was the breaking point when I made that offer and two people said yes to it. That's really cool. There, there's that. been a lot of those moments for me where I expect something to happen sure. one way and then it happens another way. Another one was was related to the price of my guide. I had mentioned earlier I had sold it for nineteen ninety five and I like just literally threw, <laughs> threw a dart at the wall for yeah. that because I had no idea what I was doing. And then I, I had one of my customers come up to me or email me and said, Pat, I'm a small business owner. You need to raise the price of your book. Like this was somebody who bought my book, right. telling me to write, like, uh, raise the price of my book. And I, I, I was just like, no, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with this price. You know, I, I really want to be that guy that everybody gets at the sure. low price. I want to serve everybody. And he's like, you will have more sales if you raise this price because this book looks really cheap the way you're <laughs> selling it. Like, trust me, do it. And so I, I literally increased the price by 50%. And the next day, I had a 25% raise in sales, like wow. the quantity. Sure. And I was like, what? Like, first of all, <laughs> thank you for emailing me. Right. <laughs> but it really w went against what I thought because I thought, okay, cheaper is better. But sure. then I realized there's this thing called perceived value right. where, you know, if you go to a furniture store and everything's like a thousand bucks and you see this amazing looking chair, but it's five bucks, yeah. you're like, something's wrong. Right. I'm not going to sit on that chair. On it, yeah. So <laughs> that, I, that, that, that was one of those things I realized. Um, and then the coolest part was I was so just stoked about how successful I was at the beginning, I reached out to all my customers and I asked them a couple questions like survey. Because cool. I wanted to learn more about, okay, well, why, why are you buying from me right. versus anybody else who's selling stuff? Um, and what was really interesting was that 25% of the respondents had said, um, Pat, I had already passed the exam when you came out with your guide, okay, but I bought it anyway because you finally gave me a way for me to pay you back. Wow. And I was like, like what? That like, is, yeah. Holy crap! Like you didn't even need to spend that money, but you felt the need to because sure. of all the value that it had that you once created. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that just showed me, okay, huh. serve first. Yeah. byproduct of that is your earnings, and that's the approach I always take now. Cool. There's a lot of different podcasts out there. A lot of them don't make any kind of money. 
Mm. So how did you monetize, or I know that's not your first thought for it, uh, it's creating the value and putting the best con out, content out there, but then what was that next step? Obviously you're like, okay, cool, I gotta have some kind of money generation along the way. Right, you, right. you know, What's that best strategy for people? Well, there's a number of different ways to go about it, and it okay. depends on who you are and what you have available, if you have your own products, you can sell your own products through your podcast. Right. You can do that in many different ways. You can sell products as an affiliate. Actually, that's the first way that I started okay. generating an income through podcasts. And the cool thing about that is that you might talk about a process that goes from start to finish. And within that process, whatever that is, you drop tools or services that you sure. use and just things that you've used along the way. Okay. And then you have the links on your show notes on your website where people, people can click can through or you have really easy... Uh, URLs that people can go through. Like okay. if you if you have a WordPress site, there's a tool called Pretty Link that right. shortens those long URLs and, and makes them really easy to type in or, or remember. Um, so affiliate marketing is great, but another tool on top of or another way to use affiliate marketing is to actually invite the owner of that product that you are promoting right. on the show to, okay. do, to do the interview. Because the challenge with affiliate sure. marketing is it's it's not your own product, right. and if you're recommending it, people are like, okay, I see you're using this, but you know, I don't, I don't really trust it yet. Right. But if you have the person who owns that product come on, I mean, they're going to do a good job for We're you. Talking about it, right? Yeah. They want to use them to promote it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, but then what's happening is your listeners are starting to develop a relationship with this product, and because okay. you're the one who hosted this person, they're going to go through your affiliate link to do that. So now I have episodes that I recorded back in 2012 that are continually. I'm keeping track based on special links that are in those sure. episodes every day, 10 to 50 clicks wow. okay. on those older episodes that were made right. six years ago. That's amazing. Which is, yeah. which is cool. <laughs> so that, that, again, just dropping those things in there and over, over time they exponentially grow into right. just a massive amount of ways that people okay. can sort of help you increase your income. Another way to go about it is advertising and sponsorship, okay. which is very popular. However, it's a little bit difficult at first because you have to get a certain number of people to that they look download. For. Yeah. Okay. So if you go through a company like midroll.com or other ones that sort of connect the sponsor to your show, okay. you're going to have to have a minimum of about $50,000 per month, which is okay. which is quite a lot, especially for those uh, just starting out. However, right. if there is a company out there that you really want to sponsor, just go out and reach out to them. Because the way that it works typically is, is on a CPM model or listen or per thousand listens. Okay. So maybe you only have a thousand listens per show, but if they are the most targeted audience who always move for you. Right. Well, a company is obviously going to want to get in front of that, and you can charge a lot more. Okay. You can do a trial run for one episode just to prove yourself to them too. Right. Um, so, and that can work. On top of that, there's another tool out there called Patreon, which a lot of Patreon. people are using, okay. especially in the podcasting world. But it's not just for podcasts. But what it does is, is it allows your fans or your audience to support the show okay. in a way that's very much like PBS, you know, like supported by viewers like you. So right. a person could pledge, for example, oh, I'll pledge a dollar for every episode you come out with. And if they're like a huge fan of your that's show, cool. that's going to be totally worth it, right? But imagine if you get 4,000 listeners to each pledge a dollar for every episode you come yeah. out with. Like, <laughs> now we're talking about some good money coming in. Right. It makes the audience feel good because they feel like they're a part of it and they're supporting the show, it. right? And that's pretty cool. Plus, you can remove the sponsors from there, which does take up a little bit of airtime. Right. So there's a number of different ways uh, to, to go about it. One of my favorite things to do is take people behind the scenes of launches that are coming up. Okay. So when I came out with my book, Will It Fly, last year, which was awesome, to lead into that, right. I did some solo podcast episodes that were just talking about the process of writing a book. Sure. And what it was like to uh, work with a team and, and get it edited and all that was entailed with that. That's cool. I interviewed people who were experts in strategies for launching a book. Again, providing right. value, but right. at the same time, just dropping hints about my book coming right. out. 
Okay. So by the time the book came out, it, it kind of it was already planted the, yeah. seeds oh, out for there sure. and stuff everywhere. And I did the same thing recently with my product launch for a course that I came out with. So taking people up behind the scenes with your podcast or any, any platform you have um, is a good strategy to lead into a, a, a launch that you have coming up. That's awesome, man. You know, and as entrepreneurs, we're all that type, we're, a lot of us are that type A. So it's normal to we do. Can do yeah. We can do it all. We can do everything. We don't want to take our hands off of it. Right. Obviously, you changed your mindset on how you looked at it, but what was maybe another factor that helped you kind of step back and be able to give more control to your team? Well, first of all, I just want to say that it's normal that, right. like, I'm not, I'm not, beating up all of us. I'm just trying to give a solution and, and saying I did it personally. So that's normal. You're successful if you did that, right? Right. If you grew a one, $2 million entrepreneur, if you're watching this, that's awesome. But if you want to scale and grow, you have to give away that control. Sure. So the, the process was probably the most painful process I ever went through, um, literally, because I had to watch one, my baby, I had to watch the bank account drop for a season right. until it exploded. I mean, literally, when I got to this, my company started, I mean, it was doubling along the way. And then it stalled because it was limited by me, uh, right? So right. You're, you're, everything's, it was egocentric. Yeah, you hit then. that ceiling. So sure. you're, in order to grow, I had to get out of the way. So then you watch the pain happen. You watch your staff that just can't get it. Right. Right. So <clears throat> one thing you have to realize, I think that, you know, as part of our DNA, the thing that I had to realize is the mindset side. Mm -hmm. I had to realize not from an arrogant standpoint that I'm brilliant, right? I didn't, the, the reason I was in so control of my business is because I actually was insecure. I was insecure about my abilities, what I, you know, what I was capable right. of doing. I, I had to control everything, but that was out of insecurity because sure. I didn't want to let it go. Instead of going to the next level, being truly brilliant, creating heroes within my organization, believing that they're equally as brilliant in their different <laughs> niches, watching right. them grow and learn and start getting excited about that. Get excited about, wow, look what Kim came up with today. Look what Mark came up with today. Ah, you know, look, look at what they're doing. Your celebrating your yeah. team. Celebrating those things. And that helped me change my heart because I love people. Right. But I was destroying people because I expected them to think like we think. And sure. entrepreneurs are wired differently. We're weird. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, we're, we're yeah. out there. We have this mindset. That's what takes us to here. But to get to the next level, it really is leadership. I didn't want to read a leadership book because I read it. And I'm like, ah, I'll do it myself. <laughs> But when it comes to influence sure. and getting your team to do things and planting seeds so that they can get, they can feel the win, it's right. not your win, it's their win. That was one of the things that really started helping me, seeing them smile, seeing their life transform, seeing them get excited about their idea that made $100,000. And guess what? It made you $100,000. It right. made your organization. And you know, part of my heart is pulling people away from corporate companies where they're getting abused in dictator-type businesses sure. and bringing them in and letting letting this person heal up and letting their creativity flow, That's you know, awesome. from that divine flow right. out of them, the ideas and passions of what they're excited about and seeing the success. And it ultimately grows your mission, your purpose. And you know that that's important within an organization today. If, if you can get your team surrounded, if you're passionate about, if you're on fire, you know, people come around and watch it, right? Sure. And if you're on fire for your purpose and mission, your team will get around you and they'll, they'll, walk, they'll, they'll walk through the valley of shadow of death with you when things are hitting your business, when there's challenges and there's resistance against what you're doing. As right. you grow, people get jealous, right? So they do things. They try to, I mean, it's... Take you down. It, yeah. yeah. So that next level of business, when you go that next level, just remember that the resistance is going to increase. Yeah. There's going to be more you're challenges. You're going to run into yeah, having gonna... that next level of resistance. Every, every part of the journey that you're moving forward on. Yeah. So what, what advice would you give me? Because you, you've done this a lot more times than I have. So as I'm talking about this, what's going on in your head? Because I, I, 
Why not get some advice from For one sure. of the masters? I guess I'm similar to you, but you know, whereas giving up that control is always a, the hard piece of things and you know, doing it better and everything. But I guess one of the things is I've never really worried for me personally about risk or those, those right. resistance challenges. It's like, okay, cool. I'm just, whatever it's going to take mm-hmm. is I'm going to push through. And I think part of that though is doing it myself to push past what that resistance level is, even though it may be a never, another level of resistance that I'm bumping into of giving up control. But I think, I think that totally makes sense. The whole fact is, you know, as we grow our company and the ones that have done really well and exploded is letting people have that creativity, letting them make those mistakes and, you know, to push themselves forward and everything. So definitely for sure. And that makes, it makes total sense because, uh, you know, the, the fears that it's funny, every time you come up against another ceiling in your business, there's a, there's a fear, right? Um, it's a, there's a fear of, you know, I can just talk from my heart. It's like, I, my life is really great right now, right? I mean, it's, I'm, I'm killing it in my business. I have, I have the life that I want. Sure. I start, I'm getting comfortable. So I'm making a big move. I, I've completely pulled myself out of my local local office. I've hired a team, and I'm going to go live the life that I believe I'm called to for my destiny. So I'm moving out west, leaving my business, moving into a, a much... But you're not leaving the business. You're I'm, just yeah, stepping leaving, out of the actual operation. The operations of the operations, business, right, yeah. and, and moving out west. Sure. And I'm going to... And I, that's a test. That's... That's hard to walk <laughs> yeah. away from because my life is, is literally, I, I love where I live. I love my relationships. I love my children. Right. I have an amazing wife. But if I don't challenge that, if I don't take some risk, if I don't move myself out of that comfort zone, then I'm not going to go that next level in life. Sure. And I believe I got sick for a reason. I believe that I got my life back for a reason. It wasn't just so that uh, yeah. I can get healthy. And then I would, so I would be contradicting my purpose and my premise. Sure. So a lot of the times when you're not happy, Go back to your purpose and your premise. What is your premise? Right. You know, even some of the challenges I talked to you about here, they made me rethink. So I, I made a business decision and it probably cost me, you know, quite a bit of cash, right? So it didn't do anything wrong on purpose, but just wasn't thinking all the way through all the steps. And it was like a day before, it was yesterday actually, right. before I came here and I got to thinking, you know, I'm going to get on making bank. Is that going to decrease my ability to communicate I'm successful and to the audience? And then I'm, why in the heck would I even think about that, Josh? Like, why would, so I got back to my ego. It's like, right. so I'm here to convince these people that I've done really well in the natural health and wellness industry. And, and honestly, you know, some of my peers and friends have done much better than I. So honestly, but in my little world, I've done pretty well, right? Sure. Within, within my current group and sphere of influence. But for me even to think that thought means that I'm totally wrong in, in my serving. Even I still have a too much ego. Right. So if you really want to overcome resistance in your life, de- decrease you, resistance will get you when you have a hierarchical mindset. Like if you think I've arrived, but also when you're when you're down too low, we, we essentially I'm talking about humility. Right. It's like if I come here and, and I just I was only on this show because it was really cool because you know Josh is really awesome and he has other cool people that come on this show that are where I want to be. Then my my premise and purpose was wrong. Then I right. should you should delete this right now and be like I don't even want that on my show sure. because that's that's not what this is about. Right. This is about making a difference. It's about transforming lives through our businesses, and if that's a billion dollar of change of influence and change, then make a billion dollar business. If you're sure. solving a billion dollar problem in the natural health and wellness industry, so I'm not going to stop. I'm just going to keep finding solutions to problems in my niche area and keep going for it. And I don't care how that's big awesome. the business gets, but I'm going to focus on the solutions to the things that people are praying in and need. 
That's great. I am Josh Felber. You were watching Making Bank. Get out and be extraordinary. Thank you for listening to Making Bank. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. And sharing is caring. Follow Josh Felber on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram for more. You can also listen to Making Bank on Amazon Alexa, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and watch on Apple TV, Success Thinkers Network, Amazon Fire, and YouTube.